Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is coming. Our text for our sermon is Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. To the messenger of the church in Thyatira write, The Son of God, whose eyes are like fiery flames and whose feet are polished bronze, says this, I know your works and love and faith and service, as well as your patient endurance, and that you are doing more than you did at first. But I have this against you. You allow that woman Jezebel, the one who calls herself a prophetess, to deceive my servants and to teach them to commit sexual immorality and eat things offered to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she is not willing to repent of her sexual immorality. Look, I am going to throw her into a bed and throw those who commit adultery with her into great suffering if they do not repent of her works. And I will put her children to death. And all the churches will know that I am the one who searches hearts and minds and that I will give to each of you according to your works. To the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold to this teaching, who do not know Satan's deep things as they call them, I say that I will not lay any other burden on you. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and continues to do my works until the end, I will give him authority over the nations, and I will rule them with an iron staff and shatter them like clay pots. Just as I myself have received authority from my Father, I will also give him the morning star. Whoever has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Today we continue our series uh, through the seven messages to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And that series overall theme is questions to ask ourselves as we read the message to the seven churches. And if we look at this church, Thyatira, we see once again our exalted Lord Jesus Christ has lots of praise for them. There's a problem, and it's a big problem. And he calls them out from here on out, I am going to read my own translation of the inspired Greek language that the Apostle John wrote in, because there's some nuances I'd like to bring out. And in verse 20 is one of them. He says, But I have against you that you are leaving that woman Jezebel alone. Specifically, she keeps on calling herself a prophetess, and she teaches and misleads my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idol. It's interesting. The word that he uses is you're leaving her alone. What's going on is the congregation in Thyatira that's remaining faithful to the word, they're simply not standing up to this woman who's clearly a false prophetess. When I was a kid, my father used to say all the time to me, you can't always be an ostrich and stick your head in the sand. But that's what's going on in Thyatira. Those who are remaining faithful to the message know she's wrong, but they're ignoring the problem. They're hoping it'll go away. So today we'll ask the question, Do we allow Jezebel's teachings by ignoring the problem? Now, I do not think this woman who claims to be a prophetess, that her specific name is actually Jezebel. It may be. I think that the Lord here is pointing out a problem because Jezebel is a very well-known name in the Old Testament. Jezebel was from Phoenicia, and the king of the northern kingdom, this was after the Civil War, King Ahab married her to form a political alliance. And she leads the people of the northern kingdom of Israel to worship Baal. Now remember, Baal was the god of fertility and the god of rain. And so the way they worship Baal was very sexually disgusting. And it repulsed God. So God says, I'm going to hold off the rain for seven years. And he raises up the prophet Elijah. 
Now remember, in the long run, Elijah has a big showdown with the Baal prophets, and God proves himself to be the true God, and 450 Baal prophets are killed that day. Jezebel had led the nation of Israel astray. I think the Lord is using this name, and if it's not, this woman coincidentally is named Jezebel, because Jezebel led the people of Israel into worshiping a false god and to sexual perversion. So let's jump into our text then. As with all the texts, Jesus always begins right away how he's going to fix the problem. So he says, next to the angel or messenger of the assembly in Thyatira. I've said this with every one of these sermons so far. That word that is angel is messenger. They met like in people's homes, but there seemed to be in every community one person that more than likely had memorized the word of God, who made sure that in the entire community that that word of God was being distributed and taught properly. So Christ is going to fix the problem, our exalted Lord, by working through a messenger, by working through that person. Today, the closest we have to that would be the, pro, the pastor. But then he's going to uh, spread that message out to everybody, make sure that it's understood in its truth and purity. And, and, and so this is going to fix the problem. He says to the messenger of the assembly. Again, the Greek word that's used there is ecclesia, those who are called out. It's a reminder for us, even in modern times, we've been called out of slavery to Satan. We've been called out of the ways of this world to be God's children, citizens of heaven. And we've been called to gather together to mutually encourage, uplift, admonish, and forgive each other with the word. Now, after this, in every one of these messages, an attribute of Christ, or more than one, that was mentioned in Revelation chapter 1 is mentioned, because this is the attribute he's going to use to fix the problem and encourage what is good. So we're told, you are to write these things. The Son of God. No, we can stop right there. Jesus here calls himself the Son of God. And it's a reminder for us. Jesus is true God, who became true man, so that he could live perfectly in our place. He had to remove our sins. Uh, he, only a man can die. God can't die. But only as God would his life be so precious that it would atone for all the world's sins, all of my sins and all of your sins. But it doesn't end that he dies there, right? He rises from that grave. He ascended. And he is ruling over creation for his bride, for those who are called out of this world to gather together the invisible church. So the first attribute they need to know is God himself, the Son of God, is the one at work. And two more attributes are mentioned. We're told who keeps on having eyes as flames of fire and his feet as something like fine metal. Now, recall back in chapter 1 when we covered that, that the eyes of flames of fire said that, that pierces everything. You almost think of a blowtorch going right through hot, going through metal that's been heated by that torch. Jesus is true God. He sees everything. He knows everything. We're going to see he even penetrates our thoughts. He can read our minds and our hearts and our intentions. So one of the attributes that's needed of the Son of God is that he's all-knowing. He knows really what's going on behind Jezebel and her followers and everything. And the other attribute that's mentioned is that he has feet like fine metal. And in chapter 1, it even said that was heated metal. When you think about this, you can't help but to think of Psalm 110, where God the Father says, God to the Son, sit on your throne until I make your enemies the footstool for your feet. We also can't help but thinking of, uh, you know, a lot of little boys are like this, and some little girls, too, out there standing on the ant pile, having a heyday, just crushing all the ants with their feet. <laughs> Jesus' feet here are described as fine metal, and, and again, in Revelation chapter 1, they're, 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 they're hot. The people who work against Christ, one way or the other, are going to find they're but ants to the all-powerful God. 
So as we take a look at the problem in Thyatira and ask, do we allow Jezebel's teachings by ignoring the problem? We see Christ's omniscience. That means he's all-knowing. His omnipotence, that means he's all-powerful. Because he's God, are the attributes needed to prevent falling into this sin? And if we have, to cure the sin. So he continues with verse 19, I have perceived your works. Now, every time he says this, I've perceived something about you. And we, I always mention that the word for knowledge here is he's seen it. And we go right back to those eyes that are like flames of fire, that blowtorch eyes that he's all knowing. And he says, your works, I think everything that follows is actually a commentary on what their works are. This is not a congregation that's dead. This is a congregation that is alive. They are doing works. Now, remember, good works don't save us. Good works are done because we're saved. It happens because God sent somebody into your and my life. Let's admit it for almost all of us. It's been more than one somebody. With the good news that Jesus is true God who became true man and saved us. And the Holy Spirit entered our heart through that message and created a new person. That new person is engrafted to Christ as a branch is to the vine. And so we produce good works. In other words, we don't do good works to save ourselves. It's when we're saved, when we're engrafted to Christ, through that new person, we're going to do good works. And he spills out some of those good works. He says, your love. God loved you and I when we were his enemies. He put a new person in our heart, and that new person now loves God. And empowered by that love, that new person loves our neighbor. Supernaturally. In a way that says, I never want to see you in hell. So because of love for God, they're gathering around his word. Because of love for God, they're sharing that word with their neighbor and showing God's love to their neighbor. And then he says, your faith. You know, when I was a kid, one of my favorite songs that I learned in church was, This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Stop grabbing your ears and crying. I know I'm not a good singer. Hey, it's a good work. It goes through the cross and is clean by the blood of Christ. But the truth of the matter is the people in Thyatira who are not following this Jezebel, their faith is shining in their community. And it's a reminder. So often we think maybe this, this particular day I didn't run off and tell somebody, hey, Jesus died for your sins. But when you're showing the love of God and lots of times when the people you work with know you're a believer because you emanate with that love, you emanate with that forgiveness and kindness, your faith is being seen. You're letting that light shine. He says your service. Now stop and think about that. I know in the church in Casper, Lots of times, because we got a dirt parking lot, there's somebody who comes in after a, a bad day on Sunday and cleans up all the mud that everybody drug in. There's somebody who plows. Somebody sets up communion. Somebody gets everything ready. All of those are service. They're service that we do out of love for God, and they're service that benefits our neighbor, right? And especially that we hear the word of God so that we're ready to share that with our neighbor. And then he says, your perseverance. This word came up with the church of Ephesus. It means remaining underneath a load. Being a Christian has its burdens, doesn't it? Now, we have an afternoon service, but I can tell you on Sunday, there are plenty of times it's a lot easier just to sleep in. But especially when people resent you for being a Christian, resent you for showing love, resent you for clinging to that word, and suspect that while the people are just not doing anything with Jezebel, they could be afraid of even being persecuted if they were to say something. Then he comments on his works again. He says, and your works, namely that the last ones outnumber your first ones. You'd be surprised how often that is not common. 
You know who oftentimes is the best evangelist in a Christian congregation? The newest convert. They're excited for Jesus. But what happens when you've been a Christian for 20, 30, 40 years? You kind of get used to it. Yeah, calm down. You'll get over that, right? It's kind of sad to think that, and I've seen this myself where lots of times, and it's a warning for us in our future, lots of times congregations, they, they, they get excited. They can't wait to have their own pastor. The Board for Home Mission says, yeah, we'll give you the funding so you can have your own pastor. And they do evangelism and they reach out in their community and they get to that point where they're able to build their own building. And then they have that if you build it, they will come attitude like their building suddenly becomes a means of grace and people stop doing evangelism. But that was not the case for Thyatira. As they have grown, as they've continued in the word of God, they have grown doing even more good works. As we combine all of this and we ask the question, do we allow Jezebel's teachings by ignoring the problem? We see the word of God will grow the fruits of faith in us in union with Christ because our new person is united to Christ. But again, in verse 20, we're told what the problem is. But I have against you that you are leaving that woman Jezebel alone. Specifically, she keeps calling herself a prophetess and she teaches and she misleads my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to, to idols. The word he uses to mislead, it's you're on the right path and then something gets you off that path onto the wrong path. And the wrong path is committing sexual immorality and eating things sacrificed to idols. Now, a lot of commentators speculate there were some pretty common trade guilds in those days, kind of like an, an equivalent today of having unions. And some of those trade guilds actually demanded worship at pagan temples. So Jezebel may have originally begun this, this Jezebel person by saying, it's okay, we know that there's no, these, these are false gods anyways, so go there, enjoy the feasts, don't lose your job because God will forgive you. We know that there is only one God and this is nothing. It becomes very clear, she is enticing these people away with sexual immorality. And we see that today, don't we? We see it in Christian churches that say, yeah, um, we know that this is a sexual sin. The Bible's clear about that. But hey, Jesus loves you. Embrace the sin. We see that when people ignore the problem, when there are people, for example, that are shacking up who know better and things like that. Well, Jezebel calls herself a prophetess. And remember, a prophet or a prophetess in the Bible tells the will of God. Whether they're telling that will in the present, the past, the future, all three or various combinations of those three, they should have been able to tell she's not a prophetess. She's appealing to an office that she doesn't belong, and the authority does not come from an office in the first place. If there's a conflict with the word of God, whoever has the word of God right is the one who has the authority, because they have the authority of the word of God. They should have been able to be like Bereans, those who've been duped by her, and look at that and say, uh, you're no prophetess. This is not the will of God. But again, the rest of the people of Thyatira, the Christians, they know better, but they're just ignoring the problem and hoping it'll go away. But God is pointing out the problem, and we see ignoring the problem will not make it go away. By the way, there's one more problem that's actually mentioned. It's going to come up here in a minute. The people who follow her say they need to get to know the deep things of Satan. There are things God himself has hidden from us. All right, for example, how can Christ's body and blood be present in the Lord's Supper? I cannot give you a scientific explanation. God has hidden that from me. He expects me to accept that by faith. So the answer to that, the best answer I can give you is because he's God. 
But there are people who can't accept that. So they'll dig into it and try to find it. And lots of times you'll find people change the word to represents or this becomes. And the same thing happens with the devil, right? It's probably that Jezebel is saying, how can we be prepared against the devil's attacks unless we get deep into them and get to know them? When I translated this, it scared me because I'm going to tell you a little story. When I worked at Wyoming State Penitentiary, devil worship was very prevalent. And I had other officers seeing this that were bothered, and they came to, to me because they knew I was a Christian. And I started reading Christian works on this stuff to find out about it. And believe me, I had to stop. I began to realize the devil was working very hard and attacking me, even though I was reading Christian resources. These people are embracing, they're digging in, they're doing these deep, evil, sinful things, probably to say, now we know what they are, right? God's had enough. Ignoring that problem is not going to solve it. And in verse 21, he says, I even gave her time to change her mind, and yet she's not willing to change her mind from her sexual immorality. God has done with Je this Jezebel person. And that word change your mind means repent. Stop thinking that way about your sin and embracing it and realize, yes, I have forgiven you, but be one of the fruits of faith then is to struggle against those sins. But he's done with her. But then he says in verse 22, pay close attention. I'm throwing her into a bed and those who commit adultery alongside of her, resulting in great affliction unless they change their minds from her works. She's going to have a sickness come to her. He's throwing her into a sick bed. And he says those who commit adultery, not that they're having sexual immorality with her, but uh, alongside her, they're also committing adultery with other people. Probably this is an STD he's going to send among them. They're going to recognize that this is God's temporal judgment against their sin. I've known of Christians who have been very sexually immoral. They said, I know God's word says better. I don't care. God made me this way. God better just love me. And then they get a big STD. I've known people who have gotten AIDS and said, God actually used AIDS to save my eternal life. That woke me up so that I didn't lose my eternal soul. And that's what God is doing here, unless they repent of her works, the work she's encouraging them to do. And then in verse 23, he says something, and I will kill her children only with death. I, I, again, God is using a lot of symbolic messages in Revelation. I don't think he's saying he's literally just going to kill her physical children, because we're told in just a verse or two later, those who aren't committing this sin or those who repent, they're taken care of. God does not punish you for somebody else's sin. He takes care of you with your sins. Now, remember uh, Jezebel, who had led the people astray in Israel. She outlived her husband, King Ahab. But it happens to be that, and we find out in 2 Kings chapter 10, Jezebel herself was destroyed and all of her and Ahab's children were destroyed. What God is saying here is, those who would just like a child listen to their mom and, and, and mindlessly believing what she says, God is going to wipe out what she is teaching. And all we know about what she taught is here, and we kind of can use biblical deduction to kind of figure out how she enticed the people away. God has wiped out this, this false prophetess's teaching. And so that's really what's going on there with the children. It's not going to continue to another generation. And he says, and so all the assemblies, again, that would be congregations, those called out of this world to gather together and mutually encourage each other in the word, will know through experience that I myself am the one who searches thoughts and hearts. And so I will give to each of you guys according to your works. Those who embrace the ways of Jezebel, well, they'll end up with the temporal disciplines in hopes of preventing the eternal punishment. But for those who are remaining faithful, God will continue to bless them. 
So we see that as we ask the question, do we allow Jezebel's teachings by ignoring the problem? We see ignoring the problem won't make it go away. And we see God will not ignore the sin. It will be taken care of in all eternity. And lots of times he'll even allow temporal things to happen in this life to try to prevent the person from forfeiting their eternal salvation. So then he continues with encouragement. He says, now I'm saying to the rest of you guys who are in Thyatira, who do not have this teaching, that's holding on to what Jezebel's teaching, specifically those who didn't get to know through experience the deep things of Satan as they call them. So remember, I talked about this already. I'm not throwing any other burden upon you except this. What you guys have, you are to tightly hold on to until whenever I come. What do they have that they're to hold tightly on to? They have the word of God. And because of that word, they, these guys continue to produce fruits they just need to stop being ostriches and sticking their head in the sand. So that reminds us as we ask the question, do we allow Jezebel's teachings by ignoring the problem? Stay in the word of God and do not even dabble in the things of Satan. Stay, you, you know those are evil, stay away from them. Just mark and avoid them. And that word of God will empower us to do that. Verse 26 then says, and so the one who keeps on conquering and the one who keeps on watching over my works until I come, I will give to him authority over the nations. There are works that Jesus had already commended them for. You know, he wants us to show love for God, love for our neighbor, the fruits of faith. And he says the one who keeps on conquering. Every time we have read a message, he always says the one who keeps on conquering. And how have I said in every sermon that we keep on conquering? We keep conquering by being in the word of God. And that word is what nourishes us so that we do do those works that Christ wants us to do. But he says, I'll give authority over the nations. When Christ returns to judge the world, we get to do that with him, for we are the faithful. And in verse 27, he says, and so he will shepherd them. And we think of the idea of the loving shepherd, the one who carries the sheep back to the flock and everything. But then he says, only with an iron staff, as the ceramic vessels are shattered. Something weird is happening. People who had followed Jezebel were meant to be in a part of Christ's bride. They were meant to be shepherded. But because they have allowed themselves to fall into these sins, what's going to happen is an iron rod instead. They have become wolves in sheep's clothing. Like Jezebel, he's going to bash their brains open. And the Christians who remain faithful will be part of that on Judgment Day. That's all. Actually, Jesus himself quoting Psalm chapter 2, verse 9, where prophecy of Christ that says, You will break them with the scepter of iron. Like a potter's vessel, you will shatter them to pieces. But he says when he comes in his victory, you'll share in that. You'll have that authority. And then he continues, he says, I will also give him the morning star, the one who continues conquering by staying in the word. Now, in the morning, the first star we see is Venus, but it tells you there's a new day. You'll have the new day. You'll have the new creation. But we have a commentary on this. Revelation 22, verse 16, the last chapter of the book of Revelation, my own translation. I, Jesus, sent my messenger, my angel, to testify these things to you all on what pertains to the churches. I myself am the root and the descendant of David, the star, namely the bright one, namely the one belonging to the morning. So how are we given Jesus the morning star? I think in Genesis chapter 15, when God makes his covenant with Abraham, God says, do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield and your very great reward. Jesus is saying you will have unity with all eternity with me for remaining faithful to me, remaining by remaining in the word. So here's we ask the question, do we allow Jezebel's teaching by ignoring the problem? We see 
Holding tightly to God's word means we will conquer by hearing and using his word. Then in verse 29, he says, the one who keeps on having ears is to hear what the spirit is saying to the assemblies. Everything he said he's, that he's promised to Thyatira for remaining faithful, he promises to you. It's meant for all Christianity. You will have that new heavens and the new earth. You will have that time with Christ, that new day in which there'll never be sin. So we see from that, holding tightly to God's word assures us of his promises. Do we allow Jezebel's teaching by ignoring the problem? Christ being true God, his omniscience and his omnipotence are the attribute needed to prevent and cure that problem. The word of God, Jesus' word, will grow the fruits of faith in us as we have that new person in union with Christ. Ignoring the problem will not make it go away. God will not ignore the sin, but stay in the word of God. Do not even dabble in the things of Satan. Holding tightly to God's word means we will conquer by hearing and using his word, and holding tightly to God's word assures us of his promises. Amen. Now may the God of hope fill you with complete joy and peace as you continue to believe so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.